You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I don't know Liam Hendricks on a personal level. We were fortunate enough to be able to talk with him on this show once. Uh, He was gracious enough to get on the show, even though, Ed, you have to admit, one of the most difficult interviews that I've ever had to do or you've ever had to do in your entire life, right? And not because of the person that we were interviewing, but he was, you know, kind enough to to keep his appointment with us to do the interview while he was, uh, you know, he and his wife are under under a slight emergency situation as a pipe had burst at his house or something. And he's driving from his training facility back home to help his wife, Christy, deal with it. And he's on the road and he's driving through Arizona and he doesn't have air conditioning in his car or something like that. So we're <laughs> we're getting road noise and it's right. hard to hear him. You know, it's just it's just like talking to a buddy of yours when they're like they're in a bad area, but you got to kind of have the conversation. And so he was he was cool enough to do it for us. But but yeah, it was it was hard to hear him. It was really nice of him to do it. Like it had been planned out in advance last year when he came on the show. And then he had the emergency where he had to go. He needed to use Bluetooth so he could drive. He had just over a half hour, so we had to start right away. And I was like, are you sure you don't want to do this later? And he's like, no, mate, let's just get it done now. And then he's driving along, and it seemed like there was a pack of motorcycles next to him for most of the interview while his windows were down. And he was in Arizona flying back to take care of the plumbing emergency. And he's talking on the Bluetooth speaker. And it was just, I remember when we were talking to him, the amount of times that we would look at each other and just mouth the words, what did he say? Like, the cleaned up audio, which is still really rough in that interview was the first time that I heard some of his answers. But I do remember, I do remember a guy who was gracious enough to talk to two guys in a basement who were fans of the team and chatted with us for a little bit when he finished because he still hadn't made it home yet and was a really gracious guy and a nice guy. But I cannot pretend that I have any kind of personal relationship with him. Meanwhile, though, when I hear that he has cancer and he has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and that this will be his battle for this year. It won't be baseball. It hurts a little bit because you get attached to players. I think you made a point, I don't know if it was on our show or when we appeared on the 108 show last week because we were on as guest. You made a point at some point talking about Liam and the rest of the, the White Sox team that you, you always get these things from the team about how well do you connect with a player how well do you know a player? Like when we get these surveys, we want them to say, what do you think about the play on the field? So we can start yelling about it, right? Like, what do you think about the general manager? They never ask those questions. They ask, do you feel like you know this player? And you made a comment like he should be the biggest star in Chicago or one of them because he's got nothing but personality. He's a nice guy. He's a great interview, but they don't really put him out there as much as they probably could. And even though they haven't put him out there probably over the last couple of years as much as they could, I think people have a connection to Liam after you watch that personality on the mound during the All-Star game when he's mic'd up, uh, whenever there's an interview with him, the the smile is great. It, it just he lights up a room. You can tell when he walks into it cuz I can't help but smile when he smiles into the camera. And so there's still a part, I think, as a fan that I think is completely normal for you to be upset about it. Like I got text messages from friends and family like, oh, my goodness, did you hear about Liam Hendricks? Like, I think a lot of fans probably did that because you feel a connection to him 
And I don't think it's weird to feel that, right? Because he's he's our guy, and now he's now he's in for a fight for his life, right? Yeah, and and my point was not that you can't feel a connection to a guy as a fan. My point was that if if the White Sox had really gotten behind marketing this guy and putting him out there in front of everybody at all times and in all situations, really, if they would let us talk to him more often, uh, that you know we would have a greater connection than we already do. But yes, absolutely. You know, there are fans who have connections to players who haven't been here in decades. Uh, you know, th- th- we have our favorites and sometimes it's based on their personality and a guy like Liam, where you see it on the mound, you see that passion on the mound and the fire. And, you know, when, when he's doing his interviews, like you said, his photo shoot, when he became a member of the White Sox was hysterical. We've got the bats. Um, you know, it, we picked up a guy that, during the pandemic when you had to wear a mask when the mask mandates were in place did so by getting his face and the lower half of his face and printed on a mask so it just looked like him him right i mean you know he's got a great personality he is fun to watch he's electric when he's on the field and when he's on in particular he's charitable he won the roberto clemente award or is a nominee i can't remember this off right, the top of my right. head but i mean like uh, this is this is one of your all-around good guys in Major League Baseball, and it hurts. And 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 he's and he is somebody that you should be a fan of, right? As a White Sox fan, you should be a fan of, and you should have some connection to him, uh, and, and feel something for him, without necessarily having to be a friend of his. This episode of Sox in the Basement, and every episode brought to you by Cork and Carey at the Park, thirty third in Princeton, in the shadow of the ballpark, the home of the podcast for fans by fans. Sox in the Basement. They have an award winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites, and two for one burgers when you dine in on Monday non sox home games, which would be basically every Monday right now because it's the offseason. I, I looked it up real quick. I just wanted to get an idea of what this was. We don't know exactly how far he is into it. And to speculate on somebody, what they're going through medically, it can get really icky. And I, I'm not I'm not going to sit there and speculate like crazy on Liam Hendricks. But there are there are two things that I kind of want to point out. First off, if you break it down by age, somebody who's under the age of 40 has an 82.4% survival rate, supposedly. Okay, when I, that seems to be the standard as I just Google that. And so he's got a four out of five chance that he's going to pull through this. And he's going to be fine. And you would think that the best doctors, you know, he it's fortunate when you got money, right? Like, if, you know, it's scary for everybody to get cancer. But I would imagine it's like, all right, who's the best at this? What's the best treatment? How do I get into this facility here? And you would hope that that even improves that survival rate a little bit for him. The the other thing is I look at how long you're probably going to be out for. And you can do all the chemotherapy and the treatment that he's starting now. And according to his statement, he's he's starting this treatment now. And you can get it all done in four months. But generally, it's six. And then there's a buildup afterwards. And I think if you're a White Sox fan, expecting Liam Hendricks to pitch in 2023 would be the the absolute long shot of long shots. Like, I read this thing and I say the closer on the team is no longer the closer this year because he's got his own personal battle that he's got to go off and fight. So now what you have is you have a team that doesn't have their all-star, high-end, one of the best in baseball closers for this season. And, uh, of course, you keep Liam in your prayers – you pull for him, you, you watch the updates, and you wait to hear good news from the White Sox. After the initial shock, and there's no way for the White Sox to anticipate this, eventually it's down to business and trying to figure out what's your bullpen. And do you need to make an addition, or are you happy with what you have? 
and it's January, so he's still got a couple of months left to figure that out. And they're going to have to take some time and first look at him and be like, what can we do to help you, right? But then they're also going to have to get back to the business of taking care of all those other guys on that team and making sure that they have the best product possible on the field if they really want to compete this year. I mean, you want the feel-good story at the end of the year that Liam Hendricks is better, and he may even be able to come in and march in with us into the postseason, and it's miraculous. Every He, he made a quick recovery, and he's back up, and he's strong. But long-term for this year, the White Sox now have to make a decision. Who's going to be the guy at the end? I hate those bullpen-by-committee things, so I, th- I think they really need to find them. Do, are you willing to go out and get somebody? Do you think that that benefits your team? Is that now another possible trade acquisition? Is a closer from the team like grabbing David Bednar from the Pirates if they don't feel like they're ready yet to have a closer like that on their roster, but we have something they want? Yes, because it, here's, here's the reality of it, is that there is a business aspect to this still. And the White Sox, I'm sure, will do everything that they can to support Liam Hendricks in his recovery and in his treatment. And that's not necessarily to say that he is a White Sox for life now uh, in terms of them extending him or anything like that. Remember, this is really the last year of his contract proper, and then you've got that option year that they'll pay him no matter what. Right, but that option year could be spread out a couple million dollars a year for multiple years. It was designed that in case something happened, and remember, you always had that concern about his his arm, right? He's got, the, he's got the tear in his elbow that he's just pitched through for years. I mean, going back to when he was way back. So What the White Sox did is they built in something so that if after three years, it didn't make sense to keep him for the fourth, for whatever reason, he wouldn't kill their budget for 2024. And so there is, there is really the possibility he never pitches for the White Sox again. I know you're not supposed to say that because it sounds cruel and I'm not trying to be cruel. It's just, there is the possibility when you get back to the business of baseball, you could bring in another closer or develop another closer. You really want to find who's the next closer on the team because he may not be there for this year. And you may make the decision fiscally next year that he's not, that you're not bringing him back. And it's a possibility. I'm not saying that's what they want to do or they've even considered it, but it is part of the realm of possibility when we look at the long term at that position on the team. Switch to a new age of life with Hyatt Home Medical Equipment located on the south side. Keep mom and dad, grandma and grandpa out of assisted living and in the home. It is much easier to do that these days. You can retrofit pretty much any room in the house to reduce fall risk. You can have apps that control doors opening and closing and locking. Plus, if you use a CPAP machine, they have the latest technology and testing rooms on site to get the most out of your machine. Even diabetes control and so much more. Stop ordering online. Stop ordering from a faceless company. They'll work with your insurance, they'll talk to you like a person, and they'll give you additional money off if you mention socks in the basement. See all they have to offer at hhme.com or stop in and see them today, 3518 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park. And everybody's path, everybody's fight with cancer is a little different. It's an insidious disease. So it's hard to even know any timeline. It's hard to even guess any timeline when it comes to Liam Hendricks, but there's a little bit of a history in Major League Baseball and professional sports that we can draw from, right? Well, and to give you an idea, okay, so you look at the history of some guys that have gone through cancer while they've been active Major League players. And 
I'll, I'll throw some names at you. John Lester in 2006 was scratched from a start with back pain. Turns out that he had a cancer diagnosis. Comes back in the 2007 season with within, you know, his cancer's in remission. Pitches the second half of the season, but he's gone basically a year. His was anaplastic large cell lymphoma, so it's not quite the same thing. But Lester ended up having a very lengthy and, and good career after that. Obviously, we know what he did when he became a member of the Cubs, things like that. So he came back, but look at that one year or so that he was gone. Right. Uh, John Kruk in 1994 basically ends up getting testicular cancer, getting at a treatable stage. He came back, and he was still a viable player. Mike Lowell, who was the third baseman for uh, the Red Sox and the Marlins, amongst others, uh, ended up with a testicular cancer as well. What, what, what The guy that was on the Orioles just recently, Trey Mancini. And Trey Mancini was gone for a year, too. But Andres Galarraga is the one that's interesting because he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 1998. Okay. Uh, and he sent, spent the entire 1999 season on the shelf trying to get back to it. And he came back in 2000 at 28 homers, 100 runs, uh, was comeback player of the year, like nothing had happened. Now, he was a little older as well at that point. And, you know, when when it, the cancer came back when he was 43, he just ended his career at that point. So you're looking at probably a good year turnaround time. So it's February, January, February. Figure that you're going to get into maybe, maybe, the like you said, the playoff March Maybe the end of the year that, you might get that's you like know, a, but it's a pipe dream. That's like one of those things that if that happens, you can't depend on that as a team. No, and you can't depend on that because history suggests you tell me you tell me what the recovery period was with the last major league baseball player that went through it, and you look at all how how long it takes for most players when they're dealing with something like this, and that is their number one focus. Like Liam Hendricks doesn't need to worry about the White Sox; he doesn't owe the White Sox anything; he doesn't owe us the fans anything. At this point, it's him, his wife, his family trying to figure out how to fight cancer. Right? Like right. that's it. Yeah, that's the that's, that's the, the whole point. thing. And, and but like it's gonna it's gonna take a while. And and. You know, where we're saying that the business of baseball being what it is, again, look at this as though most of these guys have taken a year to get back, okay, in, in some fashion. And you can look at outside of baseball, you could look at, say, Roman Reigns, who had, uh, you know, who also had, um, well, he had leukemia. This is a WWE wrestler, just so in case somebody doesn't know exactly who Roman so, Reigns is. So, yeah, he's a professional wrestler. He announces on WWE, he announces on, on Monday Night Raw in October of 2018 that, uh, you know, that Roman Reigns, the character, has got to take a backseat because Joe Anawai, the the rest of the, the human being who's got leukemia, has got to go through treatment. Six months later, he was back in the ring. And, you know, but that's a different thing. It's not exactly, a th- you know, a, a, an apples to apples comparison. So you don't know if this is something that gets treated. If he, if he heals up real quickly, the pipe dream is, is that you have Liam Hendricks at the end of this year. The reality is, is that if you want to go and trade for David Bednar, you want to develop another closer, uh, you want to go and bolster your setup core and and your late inning, your high leverage relievers, because you're going to have Kendall Graveman move into the closers role. You're going to try Ronaldo Lopez in the closers role. Uh, if that's what's going to happen... That needs to happen, and that conversation probably needs to start happening right now. Right away. And 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 Rick Hahn doesn't necessarily have to sit there and say, in the wake of the announcement, this is what I'm doing with that. But if we get towards spring training and nothing's been done, or 
the through line is still well. We have Liam, you know, and and we're we're you know we're hoping he gets back and we're hoping he does well. That's not a good baseball decision. That's not a good business decision for the White Sox, who may have been looking at the end of the 2023 season as being Liam Hendricks' swan song with the team anyway. The one thing I don't want to have happen is the White Sox use this as any kind of excuse. It should never be mentioned. It's a detriment to Liam Hendricks. Like, you should never do this. You can't get to the, you can't get halfway through the season and say, well, the problem we're having there is because, you know, Liam, Liam Hendricks, you know, he got cancer. So that, that, that's what happened. There, there are that'd things. Be horrible. That would be a horrible thing to do to the guy. Be a horrible thing to, to sit do. There, to sit there and say, I, look, we know you're at your absolute lowest as a human being because of what you're going through. And you're probably physically ill and, you know, feeling terrible. But let's pile on it because you totally let your team down. Well, yeah, you can't use that. So they, they really got to be careful that they never sit there and answer a question playing like, well, we didn't know what was going to happen to Liam. And so that's why the bullpen isn't performing here in the middle of the season. So it, it, you do Liam Hendricks a favor by addressing any issues right now, by figuring out who's going to be taking that role in the on the team and whether or not you have to go external to do it. You want to fix the problem, so you're not even tempted to say that because it would be wrong to do. So it, I think that, like, personally, if it's internal, I would much rather see Reynaldo Lopez get a shot at being the closer than Kendall Graveman because you know what my opinions are on Kendall Graveman. I mean, you, you know that, that he's not really he's not really a high level reliever. He doesn't keep guys off base. He, yeah. he puts way too many guys on base per inning for me for a closer. It is going to be nail biter after nail biter after nail biter with him standing there in the ninth inning in close games. It, it's it's really going to be nerve wracking. They can have an open competition. In fact, they might have to do that. It might be like, we're going to wait and get the spring training and we're going to figure out which guy looks good in these high leverage situations. But I think I already know what Graveman is, and I know Kelly isn't a closer, right? Joe Kelly's not no, a closer. No, we, we, we know Joe Kelly's not a closer. He's never been a Right, exactly. And Crochet is not somebody that's probably even going to be pitching opening day because he's still working his way back, although you're going to get him for the majority of the year. He, he's a guy that may be in the back half that you might look at that, 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 could, that could slide into the role. But the guy that I'm looking at right off the bat that I would like to see go out there and take the ball in the ninth inning is I'd like to see if Reynaldo Lopez is a closer. That's, I mean, he'd be my pick right now. If you sat there and said, put somebody on the depth chart right now, Hendricks is going off to, to take care of himself. Uh, who, who's the closer right now going into the season? I wouldn't want to change everybody's roles. I just say, let's see if Raylo can do it. Yeah. And I, I think I would also eliminate Aaron Bummer. Oh God, I don't want to watch that. That's, that's, that, that's a guy who, who relies on you chasing. And if you get a disciplined team up there, he's going to walk in the winning run. We've seen that happen too many times where he's not hitting a spot or they're they're dribbling the ball off of him, you know, and he he's getting a, a bases loaded situation where he hasn't given up a piece of hard contact. So I, I don't want Bummer in that situation. I will say a dark horse guy that that I think is young enough that we haven't fully seen what he's capable of is Jimmy Lambert. Yeah, that'd be a candidate. I mean, why why not give him the opportunity? See what he does. Put him in that role a few times in in spring and and ask yourself whether or not this guy could do it as well. I, I don't know. I look at Lopez, though, and I see he was such an effective pitcher when he came into games. And he, he was he was far more effective than than pretty much anybody that was out there. I mean, Reynaldo Lopez last year had a closer's whip under one walker hit per inning. He had his his whip was lower than Liam Hendricks. To give you an idea. Yeah. His fielding independent pitching. 
was 1.93 compared to Hendricks's 2.68. Okay, his whip was 0.949 compared to Hendricks's 1.040. He went out there and pitched for a few more innings than what Hendricks did, but generally pitched one inning. He, I think he had 61 appearances and he started in a game. And that's why he has 65.1 innings to his 61 appearances, where Hendricks has 58 appearances and 57.2 innings pitched. He gave up, though, over that period of time, one home run compared to Hendricks's seven. If you actually put them side by side and took their names off of just looking at last year's stats and you just erase their names and you put their stats up against each other, I guarantee you I could convince most White Sox fans that Lopez was Hendricks and Hendricks was Lopez because they would say, well, the best guy there is this one. That must be Liam Hendricks. And no, it wasn't last year. It was Reynaldo Lopez. And so that's why I say that's the guy I want, because if I take Kendall Graveman and I put him up against Liam Hendricks, even though he has closed games before, or I take Jose Ruiz, who they've always just held on to what oh, was, as, as maybe one day we can develop him into it. Didn't they use him as a closer a lot in the minors too? Because I like that I was think a thing. So. Yeah. Or I take some of these other guys that are out there. Anybody on the team, like here, I'll just look at Kendall Graveman. His whip, his walks and his hits per innings pitch is 1.40. Nearly a runner and a half on base every inning. It'll drive you nuts. His fielding independent pitching is nearly a full point over Hendricks. I mean, he's had a 3.42 compared to Hendricks's 2.68 and Lopez's 1.93. He gave up five home runs over 65 innings. So he gave up he gave up five times the home runs in the same amount of innings that Reynaldo Lopez gave up. He walked twice as many guys, more than twice as many guys than what Reynaldo Lopez did in the same amount of innings last year. They struck out pretty much the same amount. So the, the temptation is going to be, well, Graveman's done it before, but the answer is Lopez is ready. And I think that would be the contention that I would make instantaneously knee-jerk reaction. You need to have a closer next year. If you don't go out and get somebody because you want to go outside the system and you want to handle this internally, Reynaldo Lopez would be the guy I'd put on the mound. Hailstorm Brewing Company is the official brewery of Socks in the Basement, and you should stop in and check that big, giant beer hall out. An incredible menu of food as well. They have a scratch kitchen in there and a ginormous list of beers for whatever your palate desires. A real working brewery with a top-notch tap room. Located in Tinley Park at 8060, 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue, highly acclaimed new brewer Will Turner bringing decades of experience and excellence to Hailstorm Brewing. Live music on the weekends, trivia nights, and other fun events. Learn all about them at hailstormbrewing.com. And get in there and try one of their original beers from back in the day. They got the recipe out. Will Turner just put out Jesus Toast. I don't know why it's named that. Will doesn't know why it's named that. It's just one of the original beers from years ago done by another brewer. They decided to give it a try. A rye IPA with Amarillo and Cascade hops. Really good stuff. Meanwhile, another side effect, Ed, is the fact that there's pitchers that may not have had as good of a chance of making the Major League roster that now there's some more competition to get on the 26-man roster and get in that bullpen. Right. Nick Avila is going to be, he's going to have to be on the team uh, anyway. So he's going to have a chance to prove himself. 
you know, you could have a Matt Foster come back, um, you know, and, and, and have him try and reinvent himself. There's guys that are in the minors that, that could come back, right? You know, why not, you know, why not let somebody else earn a spot? So you have that possibility too, where you're, you're moving around sort of the front end of the bullpen. Uh, but I think this also does open up the question of if there's a guy that's out there that has some late inning experience that you could use, you know, and, and have Pedro Grafal use properly, okay, and and make into a high leverage reliever, not necessarily a closer, but can use them properly and, and, and help protect the rest of the team, maybe it's worth it. And maybe we're at the point where those guys are going to come on minor league deals anyway. Right. I, look, if I look at relief pitchers that are still out there that could be signed, none of them are as good as Reynaldo Lopez. Don't even go out there and and sign one of them. No, to there's be your no, there's no closers right. available. No, there's no right closers now. available, and I don't think you need to bolster your bullpen right now because I've always said this: you can get bullpen later. You know, you can develop bullpen. You can have a guy that you think is going to be really good and he has an off year. You can have a guy that you didn't expect to be good all of a sudden catch on fire. Bullpen is the most volatile thing on your team. Relief pitchers all of a sudden become a spark. They get really good, and you have to resist the temptation of signing them to long-term deals because they may be bad again in a couple of years. It's a rarity to find somebody that's consistently good year in, year out for a long time in a bullpen. So I don't think you need to rush out and grab a piece unless you see somebody who is a professional closer available on a team that doesn't need him. Okay, And I mentioned David Bednar just as an example, because he's with the Pirates and you don't know whether or not the Pirates would really care about having a closer at this point in their rebuild. So does it really matter to them? And do you have something that they would like to be able to get him? On the other hand, though, I would compare David Bednar to Reynaldo Lopez. And I'm telling you, man, my gut still says Raylo as the closer. I wouldn't give anybody anything. I'd use I'd go internal on this entire thing and I'd move forward with it. But in the end, if that doesn't work, that's not on me because that's what my idea is. Is it somebody on the outside looking in? It's up to their pro scouting and it's up to the general manager and the president of baseball operations and the manager of the team and all these people that are making the evaluations. It's up to Chris Getz as to whether or not he's got somebody he's like, this guy right here could slide into a role or the role. It's up to them to actually make the proper evaluation of their talent. That's what they get paid the big bucks for. So, but th- this is something now that they, it becomes another thing on the list of things to do. And to be honest with you, even though I love criticizing the front office, they've done a lot in terms of answering a good amount of questions, especially if they really believe that second base is an internal thing and they're they're okay to go to war with it or add a veteran in there, at least for some competition. But they're okay going to war with Sosa and, and, and Romy Gonzalez as the two options over at second base. And if they're like, we're going with Oscar Colas and Wright because we believe in the kid. I got to believe in that, too, because I watched him go through the minor leagues and I'm impressed with him. And, yeah, he strikes out a lot, but you're so solid at center field and left field if I, that that I would well, say no, you, you can you can live with Oscar Cola striking out a lot. You can right. live with Lennon Sosa struggling a little bit if the rest of the team is hitting. And there's more there's more professional hitters on this team now than there were when we first started having those conversations at the start of the offseason. Right. The only problem right. is that you're not I don't know if you're really replacing Jose Abreu. But you got to find one person that makes up for this with Jose and one person that makes up for this with Jose. That's that's that is something that is a loss. I don't expect Andrew Vaughn to walk in no. and be Jose Abreu. OK, but they have addressed at least something right. They're not just sitting around and, and, and they still have four or five questions. They've only got two or three questions. Now they had a new question get thrown in there. 
And so now, you know, after the business of making sure you take care of the person that's going through the cancer and giving all the support you possibly can, you also then have to turn around and say, okay, let's look at the whiteboard here. Where are we moving everybody? I think the simplest thing is to say Lopez closer. All right, let's go in the let's go into spring training as an open competition. But I assume this is what the guy's going to be. And it's time to have a conversation with him about the fact that he has the opportunity to be that. And every pitcher in the world should take that seriously because the money's in being the closer, right? If he does well for the oh, White yeah. Sox, if he did well for the White Sox, if he gets his chance to be that and he ex- and he excels at it, there are dollars down the line for him. And so the, the, everybody wants that. You know, I, the one thing I don't want them to do is this by committee thing. And, and nobody knows what their role is because I don't think that works. And I think we've seen way too many examples of it. Hey, pick a guy, tell him he's the closer for a couple months. If it doesn't work out, go with somebody else. I still go back to the fact that in 2005, you won a World Series and you had three closers on that team. Shingo Takatsu started the year. Dustin Hermanson was in the middle. And then Bobby Jenks shows up at the end. And Takatsu was off the team and Hermanson's back was destroyed by the end of the year. But in between... Neil Kotz, Cliff Polite, uh, Luis Vizcaino, Damaso Marte, those guys, and, and anybody else who's in the bullpen, their roles never shifted in 2005. The closer rotated, but in particular, Kotz and Polite knew that they were the setup guys, and there was no there, there was no question. I you know they may have ended a game here or there, okay, but they knew what their role was, and so to your point. Keeping Graveman, Kelly, Bummer, Crochet, uh, you know, t- keeping those guys in their positions as as you've identified them as sort of your late inning relievers, and saying Ronaldo Lopez can go from being last year entering the season kind of presuming to be the swing guy, and developing into a late inning guy, and now developing into a closer, or Jimmy Lambert going from a potential sixth starter to being a bullpen guy to being a potential closer, that makes more sense than. Yeah, than having, you know, okay, Graveman's going to close on odd days, Bummer's going to close on even days, and Kelly's going to close when it's Tuesday, and the King of England has had his tea with (laughs) two extra sugars, and Raylo's going to close when Pedro wears white underwear. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.